1: Why choose a Sleep Number smart bed?
0: Can I make my side softer?
1: Can I make my side firmer whenever I want? Can, Can we sleep, sleep cooler? Sleep Number does that, cools up to eight times faster, and lets you choose your ideal comfort on either side. 94% of Sleep Number smart sleepers report better sleep. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com.
2: Uh, it's always an honor to represent the Navy and the hard work uh, by the sailors and civilians in, uh, in naval oceanography and what they do for the Navy and the nation. So, again, thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, and, and thank you and your colleagues for your service. Uh, we know that it's a, an important service to the nation and to the world, uh, and I want to dive into it. But before we do, I ask every guest of Weather Geeks the simple question, how did you become a weather geek?
2: <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. And I'm and I'm proud of it. Um, it you know, I, I think it really goes back to uh, uh, my childhood and growing up, uh, certainly uh, uh, my time in Northern California, uh, camping, sailing, hiking, uh, and uh, the opportunity to grow up in a farming community and, and participating in, uh, in scouts, you know, just understanding the environment was just part of the rhythm of life. Right. It uh, it just meant were you prepared for the day? Were you prepared for what you were um, going to be participating in? And so for me, that just translated when I had the opportunity to join the Navy. It it seemed like a very natural fit. Uh, Every naval officer needs to understand the maritime environment. You know, that is our operating environment. So uh, for me, it just seemed like a natural fit. And that passion is just to continue to grow over uh, the past three decades in uniform.
1: And let me give you a little bit of uh, Rear Admiral Ronald Perrette's background. He's a native of Chico, California and a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis. And he holds a Bachelor of Science degree in physical oceanography and a master's degree in oceanography and meteorology from the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California. Uh, and Naval Security and Strategic Studies from the Naval War College in Newport, Rhode Island, where he graduated with distinction. Uh, At sea, uh, Admiral Perret served served aboard the HMS Herald as an operation officer, uh, NATO transit helicopter controller, aviation officer, and there are many other things. And aboard the USS Abraham Lincoln, he served as an oceanographer, officer of the deck underway, and command duty officer underway during the deployment with the commander. Uh, carrier strike group nine in the Western Pacific. Ashore, he served as the forecast duty officer at Naval European Meteorology and Ocean- Oceanography Center in Rota, Spain. And there are just numerous other things that I'll try to inject in discussion, but I don't have a lot of time today with the Admiral, so I want to make sure we dive into the discussion. I want to just jump right into this because I am familiar with Naval Meteorology and Oceanography Command and many people that listen to the podcast may be, but I suspect many people aren't. So give us the 101 on what your role is in the broader mission.
2: Yeah, th- thank you for that. And uh, yeah, I appreciate that. I think it's important when you, you know, kind of looking back at the the, the bio that you read is in each one of those Situations, I was really taking my expertise and applying it into the mission of each one of those uh, organizations, whether it be a ship, a uh, uh, carrier, if you will, uh, as well as shore commands. It's applying that environmental knowledge in, in maritime warfare applications, really from the tactical to the operational to the strategic, um, you know, as, as a naval officer uh, to ensure our, our importance uh, or our effectiveness, if you will. But, uh, you know, why is naval oceanography important is something that I always think is uh, you know, crucial to understand, not only to the Navy, but to the nation, you know, recognizing that over 70 percent of the globe is covered by uh, seas and oceans. Uh, that nearly, or actually more than ninety percent of global commerce travels upon the oceans uh, and the uh, and the maritime commons that all nations benefit from, as well as intercontinental communications uh, with uh, the run along cables uh, laid on the seabed floor, as well. So understanding that environment is just as critical to a maritime nation and our global connections, uh, as well as to our partners and allies. So, you know, so how do we do that? We do that with very smart, dedicated people, uh, both in uniform and in civil service. Uh, And as you noted, uh, just a little over 2,600 people Uh, Sailors, civilians, engineers, technicians uh, in a broad variety of disciplines that really spans from astrometry uh, to physics, to optics, to geology, um, to oceanography, and and the list goes on. Uh, It's an interdisciplinary uh, effort here. And and we're stationed at 60 locations around the globe. Uh, That's 14 different commands, uh, but we do stretch the globes and we're deployed upon every sea and ocean uh, where the Navy sails uh, as well. And uh, and that's why we say uh, your listeners can't see it. But behind me, it says it starts with us, uh, right, because we're literally mapping from the ocean floor to the stars uh, in order to ensure that the Navy has the high ground, as we call it.
1: Speaking with Rear Admiral Ronald Perrette of the Naval Meteorology and Oceanography Command, and we're talking about the role of weather and climate in the sort of broader mission of the U.S. Navy. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. Uh, I note that one of your previous stops is that you commanded the Naval Oceanographic Office at Stennis Space Center in Mississippi. Uh, As a former NASA scientist myself, I'm very familiar with that uh, particular center. Uh, I want to ask you this. It's really, I think, Stennis Space Center in coastal Mississippi is a big employer and the U.S. Navy is a big part of that. Talk about the role of a place like Stennis and what goes on there from a naval operations perspective. And then also talk about, because I know within your sort of purview, you have weather modeling capacity as well. So talk about the role of these organizations within the broader command at Stennis and other centers. And then I'm also curious about what type of weather and oceanographic modeling capacity you have.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I thank you for that question because it, uh, you know, I think it's important to understand, again, oceanography is interdisciplinary, right? So when I say oceanography, I'm saying atmospheric modeling, ocean modeling. I'm talking about acoustics. I'm talking about electromagnetic propagation, as well as just the the general dynamics from, you know, waves uh, to uh, what's going on in the atmosphere from precipitation, uh, frontal passage and, and things of that nature. So we are headquartered uh, down here at Stennis Space Center, and uh, they're, they're great partners. Uh, but here, uh, underneath Naval Oceanography, we have six, what we call Echelon 4 commands that, uh, again, uh, the U.S. Naval Observatory in uh, Washington, D.C., uh, the Fleet Weather Centers in San Diego and in Norfolk, as well as the Fleet Numerical uh, Oceanography and Meteorology Center in um in uh, monterey california which is again unified modeling uh, ocean and atmosphere and then onboard stennis is the naval oceanographic office and the naval oceanography operations command and each one of these commands has a primary mission but they each support each other in integrating all of that information to deliver a characterization of of an operations area as well uh, yes, uh, uh, proud alumni of the Naval Oceanographic Office uh, and their primary role is, is really looking at undersea warfare, uh, if you will, uh, in terms of mapping the ocean floor, uh, what's going on in the water column and collecting that data. They do that with a variety of methods. Uh, primarily, we have six oceanographic uh, military survey ships. Uh, and those are uh, manned by the military Sealift command and naval oceanography. And those are four deployed around the world uh, continuously, uh, mapping the ocean floor and gathering the data in between. They also deploy uh, a variety of unmanned sensors uh, around the world from ocean gliders to ocean profilers, again, collecting all of that data. So, both in the atmosphere and the ocean, uh, we collect over 100 million observations a day. Wow. Uh, and yeah, that's, uh, and, and that accumulates to over 7 terabytes of data um, that, that we ingest uh, and bring in and assimilate Uh, and then run our ocean and atmospheric models uh, as well. So uh, as an example of the collaboration is uh, Fleet Numerical, as we call it, our high-performance computing and unified modeling uh, command, uh, headquartered out in, in Monterey, but they have embedded uh, ocean modelers inside the Naval Oceanographic Office uh, to keep that synergy uh, in terms of understanding. Hey, where do we need to do data collection? Where do we need to make sure our models are better? So that's what happens here um, with regards to onboard uh, staff. Uh, excuse me, Stennis uh, Space Center. Um, but it's, it's in collaboration with our other commands in order to bring this unified um, oceanographic characterization uh, together. And I'd be remiss if I didn't also talk about our great um, partnership with the Defense Supercomputing Resource Center. So uh, one of the DOD's five supercomputing centers is housed uh, here uh, with us. Uh, And they have for quite some time. And and so that allows us really cutting edge, high performance computing to do the very best modeling uh, available, uh, particularly at the operational and tactical levels uh, as well. Uh, and, And again, it all starts with the data. It all starts with you know you got to have good data to initialize your models. Uh, so we have been on the cutting edge in the application and uh, employment of unmanned systems, um, and so that that gets a lot of press uh, these days. Uh, and a lot of uh, a lot of organizations are now getting into uh, using unmanned systems. We've been doing it. We've been owner operators uh, for over twenty years. Uh, So we have a lot of uh, experience in that, and we can command and control certain types of unmanned systems uh, here uh, from our operations center on board uh, NASA, uh, Stennis Space Center as well. So at, at any time, we have over 200 unmanned systems deployed gathering that data in places that we need it.
1: And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm speaking with Rear Admiral, Rear Admiral Ronald Perrett from Naval Meteorology and Oceanography Command. Uh, I, I'm a little tongue twisted today because I'm getting over a cold, and so i am making the medication I want. So I apologize to the listeners. I'm usually a lot cleaner in my sort of addiction here, but it's really an honor to have you on the podcast today. You know, I want to kind of dive more into the discussion of what you. talking about because we've had the director of the national weather service on the podcast the administrator of NOAA, and so forth and we talk about the enterprise uh, in terms of the modeling capacity the satellite and weather radar and other data gathering to support the gfs model and our european counterparts if you will in the european center Uh, talk about how your efforts for weather and modeling and observation gathering work together with the broader civilian forecast uh, organizations like NOAA National Weather Service or ECMWF and European Modeling Center so forth. How, how are you connected? Or are you completely independent in what you do because of your mission?
2: Well, uh, the answer to that, is, to, to those questions is yes to both. <laughs> uh, we have fantastic partnerships, and we have had those for, for many decades, uh, but also we have to have a certain level of independence to ensure that we have what we call authoritative assured data um, that we need in times of need for our forward deployed forces. But it starts with you know the fundamentals and sharing as much data as we can uh, across the organizations, as well as how we are developing our models. Uh, so with NOAA and the National Weather Service, uh, we have uh, a number of agreements. Uh, we have uh, continual touch points throughout the year. As a matter of fact, next week, I'll be meeting with uh, Dr. Spinrad, uh, who is the administrator for NOAA, of course, uh, you know to continue to uh, invest in that relationship in the various ways that we work together, uh, because we have different missions. Uh, The National Weather Service is really uh, focused on uh, the continental United States uh, and the territorial and economic exclusion zones. And uh, the U.S. Navy and naval oceanography is everything else. (laughs) But uh, as your listeners uh, can appreciate, you know, the, the Earth is one heat engine. Right. Uh, so the the more that we can collaborate and further the science in ocean and atmospheric modeling, uh, we can help each other uh, in that in that realm. I think one example uh, that we are very proud of that we've that we've been uh, collaborating for the past several years is just on the hurricane season. Uh, here for the Gulf Coast and uh, the Atlantic Coast of the United States. Uh, So as an example, we get together and we produce a holistic sensing plan uh, for the ocean and then uh, collaboratively deploy unmanned systems uh, as in a picket in order to understand the heat content and the dynamics in the ocean so we can better forecast during the hurricane season. Uh, so Fleet Weather Center Norfolk, uh, very tight collaboration with the National Hurricane Center as well as the Joint Typhoon Warning Center out in uh, Hawaii. Uh, I, I have very tight relationships and in fact uh, we have uh, a naval oceanography uh, expert who's, who's been embedded in the National Hurricane Center for several years uh, as well. So that's just one example. We also think about um, data, data simulation, and how do we move that data? Uh, And so we meet uh, every six months uh, in order to understand what we're doing uh, in our own lines of business and to ensure that uh, we continue to be able to move data and share it uh, across organizations.
1: Speaking with Rear Admiral Ronald Perrette of Naval Meteorology and Oceanography Command on Weather Geeks. You know, the Navy, you operate from the tropical seas to the polar region, so that presents very different challenges from a weather and an oceanography perspective. Um, How have you adapted to be able to operate so nimbly and efficiently in all environments?
2: Yeah, uh, thank you for that question. Um, If it was easy, everybody would do it. Uh, That's that's, all I can say. But uh,
1: That's what I tell my kids all the time.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, we really uh, that it's a challenge, right? Because you have to have the right tool for the right areas of operations. And uh, and as your listeners can appreciate, you know, there there are the right models uh, for the right time of year or for the right scale or for the right region. Uh, and so, you know, we really have a number of ways that we can tailor uh, what we do to characterize the environment uh, in those locations. But it really takes a partnership uh, with industry, academia, and other governmental agencies uh, in order to ensure that we are using the best of the best, not uh, duplicating, uh, and that we're utilizing our resources uh, most effectively. So as you mentioned, you know, uh, really from poll to pole. Uh, is where we are. Um, And so the the Navy's uh, Ice Center is also the National Ice Center. And that's co-located with NOAA in Suitland, Maryland. And that organization um, uh, headed by a Navy commander uh, really uh, wears uh, several different hats, uh, both in the interagency realm as well as the international arena in terms of collaboration for understanding how we're uh, gathering information, uh, both uh, at the North and South Poles, and then how we're modeling that and what we're able to share uh, in, the, in those regions as well. So uh, it really takes uh, groups uh, specialized within our own team team, uh, but that also have very strong partnerships uh, across academia, industry, interagency and allies and partners.
1: And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. And I'm speaking with Rear Admiral Ronald Perrette from U.S. Naval Meteorology and Oceanography Command. And in this last segment, I, I've got to ask you the big question. Now, several years ago, I actually served on a National Academies review study for the U.S. Navy looking at uh, U.S. Naval operations and national security implications of climate change. Uh, Admiral uh, Admiral David Titley at the time was involved in that effort and I served on that panel. Man, that sunset is gorgeous.
0: Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana. Where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today.
1: Wrote a report. Uh, how is the U.S. Navy evolving with our changing climate?
2: Yeah, thank you for the question. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm still in touch with uh, Admiral Titley. And uh, and I had the opportunity to work with him uh, as well in those efforts and understanding and uh, i think this goes back to uh recognizing uh what each one of our organizations really needs to focus on from a from a national uh security interest point of view right uh so when we're talking about long range uh, climatological predictions uh, you know so we really leverage our partnerships with noaa national weather service department of energy and, and other groups that are that are looking at various time scales so then we go back to, you know, what is naval oceanography in the Navy, you know, need to be prepared for and be informed by. So when we're talking about climate change, we're really talking about the impacts of climate change. What is sea level rise going to do? Uh, what is uh, the warming of the oceans going to do in terms of opening up uh, operating areas that maybe historically haven't been as uh, accessible? arctic
1: routes like the northeast northwest passage for example
2: yeah exactly right and so we're looking at those uh and we can pause there for a second we're looking at those from okay what has now changed in terms of safety and navigation uh in those areas what do we need to do from an ocean modeling perspective are there changes in atmospheric dynamics uh you know with changing uh, heat cycles if you will The other aspect of that is from an infrastructure and planning point of view, Um, are our ship um, development plans in accordance with operating in these more accessible areas? Uh, Can we take and operate uh, in uh, ocean environments that are warmer? Uh, than we've historically uh, encountered or operated in, in the same way uh, operating in areas where ice is prevalent. Um, so even though the, uh, the northern sea routes are becoming more accessible, uh, it's still cold up there. There's still ice. Uh, so we need to ensure that we're developing uh, our procedures and our platforms to operate in those areas. And then it goes to infrastructure. Uh, in our fleet concentration areas, uh, are our peers, uh, are our logistic depots and things of that appropriately designed uh, for changes in the climate uh, as well. So those are all the things that we're looking uh, for to ensure that our Navy remains ready.
1: Yeah, and it really, when I was involved in that study, one thing that really was kind of obvious but kind of hit me in the world of climate change is that most of your facilities are at or above sea level or below sea level and near the coast, and so the sea level is a challenge. And the other thing that really I learned and You can maybe speak to this U.S. Navy is usually a first responder in times of extreme hurricane disasters globally or tropical cyclone disasters or even earthquakes in Haiti and so forth. And so as we think about this extreme weather sort of amplification that we're starting to see with climate change, that that probably just keeps you a little busier in terms of your humanitarian response as well.
2: Uh, we certainly, uh, as you stated, uh, the Navy's been uh, a first responder and humanitarian assistance and disaster response uh, with that. So Naval Oceanography's role, of course, you know, the better we can predict these uh, events, we can understand uh, where we might be called to serve. Uh, And at the same time, uh, you talk about uh, uh, earthquakes and and those kind of events, and certainly uh, events in the past in Haiti are are examples of that, uh, where we could see what kind of damage uh, had been done uh, on the island. But what was our Navy's access going to be in that area? So in that uh, example, uh, us being able to go in with other partners in the Navy and accurately map uh, the harbor entrances as well as the, the conditions. Uh at the pier, uh, could those support operations, could ensure that the Navy could come in and do the humanitarian work uh, as well. Uh, but that's a team effort, you know, across many different organizations within the Navy.
1: Well, Admiral, it's been a pleasure. I know you have to run because you are busy doing things that are very important to all of our safety and security. And again, I want to thank you and your colleagues for your service. I hope the Weather Geeks listeners really have for sort of the weather and climate and oceanographic operations within the navy i really want to thank you for joining us today
2: yeah thank you for for having me again it's uh, it's a real pleasure to to work with these uh, dedicated professionals in civil service and in uniform and i guess i'll just uh to to your listeners uh hey if you're interested in applying uh this type of knowledge in the navy in the nation's interest uh please give me a call and we'll end it
1: there but before we do- I've got to recognize our Geek of the Week. We like to highlight a scientist superstar, a great geologist, or a weather weenie at the end of every podcast. This episode's Geek of the Week is Amanda Betts. Amanda's most memorable weather event is the May 1998 Durate Show in Michigan. In fact, it was what jump-started her passion in meteorology, and she started learning everything she could about it. Eventually, she became a spotter through the National Weather Service, where she relays information and continues to attend courses. If you or someone you know would be a deserving candidate for our next Geek of the Week, check out our social media pages. Rear Admiral Ronald Perrette, thank you again for joining us.
2: Yeah, thank you, sir.
1: I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and we'll see you next time on Weather Geeks.